Welcome to the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. I'm your host, Marie Wold, health and fitness influencer, coach, and lifestyle entrepreneur committed to educating and empowering women to become their very best selves. Each week, my guests and I are proving that with hard work and the right mindset, absolutely anything is possible. We are here to bring you not just inspiration, but also actionable takeaways that you can use to create a life that you love right now. We're talking all things personal development, including health, fitness, confidence, relationships, and so much more. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. You're listening to the Grind and Be Grateful podcast, episode number 20. Today's episode is so relevant because with Andrew and Mai's eight-week fall fitness challenge going on right now, we are getting so many messages and comments in our private Facebook group saying, I can't believe I'm eating this much and still losing weight. And before we started the challenge and everyone was just getting their plans, we had multiple like panicked messages asking us if we had made a typo or if we were sure the numbers are right because some people's recommended fat loss calories were higher than they were used to eating, but they weren't even seeing progress with those lower numbers. So they were a little bit nervous. And that might sound like some magic fantasy world where you can eat more and lose weight, but this phenomenon is very real. And as a coach, I see it all the time because it is super common for women to just be chronically under eating sometimes for decades. And it's just not doing anyone any favors in any way. So we're going to set the record straight in today's episode with the help of our guest, Laura Schoenfeld. Laura is a registered dietitian with her own private practice. She specializes in helping overstressed, overtrained, and undernourished women get back to better physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health by combining evidence-based functional nutrition training with spirituality and self-compassion. She helps her clients reach their highest level of real health and wellness with the overall goal of becoming fed and fearless. I love it. I love some good alliteration. You guys know that. But Laura has so much knowledge and great insights to share with us in today's episode. And I can't wait for you to soak it all in. But before we get to the interview, let's do the review of the week. This week's review comes from Taylor Bowen or Bowen. Sorry, girl, not sure which one it is. And she said, fantastic podcast. I've been following Marie for a few years now, and it's so exciting to see her be able to expand on the topics she touches on on Instagram. Definitely a podcast you don't want to miss, full of great nuggets of wisdom. Thank you so much for your kind words and longtime support, Taylor. I just extra appreciate hearing from the ladies who have stuck with me for years. I appreciate my new ladies as well, but especially the ladies that have stuck with me for years and years. They hold a special place in my heart because they have been with me through so much. They have seen me pivot and pivot and pivot and get lost and find myself again and get lost again. But no matter what, they've still stuck with me, which is so cool and so appreciated. And I'm just insanely grateful for a tribe that is as multi-passionate as I am, because that means that I get to talk about and explore so many different topics and facets of life, especially here on the podcast. So a huge thank you to Taylor and everyone listening who listens to, reads, or watches all of my different types of content and lets me explore and just have fun with it. If you'd like to be featured as the review of the week, head on over to iTunes on your computer or the Apple Podcasts app on your iPhone. Search for the show and scroll down to leave a rating and a review. It only takes a minute, but it means the absolute world to me. 
And if you do leave me a review, go ahead and DM me on Instagram with a screenshot of your review and I will send you my ebook called Flexible Dieting Made Simple. This is an ebook that I wrote that explains everything about flexible dieting, tracking macros, eating healthy, a balanced diet while also incorporating treats. I'll send you that as a little thank you. And my Instagram username is at Marie E. Wold, W-O-L-D. So just shoot me a DM along with that screenshot and your email and I will send that ebook to you. Hello, hello, Marie here. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that today's show is brought to you by my free workout guide. I've put together a full week of some of my favorite workouts for building curves, gaining strength, toning up, and just feeling amazing. And I want to share them with you guys totally free. Hundreds of women have already completed them and they have sent back nothing but rave reviews. So if you're ready to get sculpted and strong, head to mariewold.com slash free guide to grab your copy right now. Again, that's M-A-R-I-E-W-O-L-D dot com slash free guide. I know that you're going to love it. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hi, Laura. Thank you so, so much for being on the show today. I'm super excited to dive into all of this knowledge and insight that you have. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Marie. I obviously am someone who has personally overcome like huge struggles around food and exercise. And I guess I shouldn't say obviously, because if you're newer to the show or you're newer to my content, you might not know that. But I'm so selfishly excited to have Laura on the show. But I also know that so many of you guys listening will take a bunch of amazing insights away from it as well. So to start off, Laura, can you just tell us where you got your start as a registered dietitian, why you are so interested in the specific area that you're now focused on and just how that all unfolded? Yeah, sure. So a long story, but I'll condense it down to the best nutshell version that I can give. So I grew up in a family that actually was pretty good about nutrition. My mom actually is a dietitian now. She wasn't always a dietitian when I was growing up, but she became one when I was in high school, I think. So we were always brought up around real food and it wasn't like healthy in the sense that it was like low fat and sugar-free and low salt and all that stuff like the 80s and 90s were teaching. Mm -hmm. It was more things like grass-fed animal products and raw milk and whole eggs and that kind of thing and cooking with butter and eating lots of different vegetables and fermented foods. So kind of more in like the real food ancestral health. She was into well, still is into a philosophy called the Weston Price Foundation, just the information that they provide. So I was always around it growing up. And really my diversion from that approach started in high school when I started to, I guess it was like right after I went through puberty and was like starting to gain weight. And I was never overweight, but I was definitely larger like than a lot of my friends. I played volleyball and I was athletic, but I had a lot of girls on the team that were would comment about the size of my butt or anything like that. And if anyone's played volleyball, you know, you wear these tiny little stretchy shorts. So it's like, can't really hide anything from anybody. So I have been there. (laughs) So I started to get self-conscious about how I looked. And then of course, when you're, you know, 15, 16 years old, you're like, how do I fix this problem? And you pick up a women's health magazine and you learn about the 1200 calorie a day diet and you, you know, start down the rabbit hole. So I started trying to eat in a way to manipulate my weight, probably about like, I don't know, sophomore year of high school was when it first started. I never developed any sort of like actual eating disorder behavior, but there were some things in there that I would consider disordered now. So as an example, like bringing 
a slim fast can to school for lunch instead of eating a normal lunch. You know, once I got to college, it was an interesting experience because I played volleyball for a season and I was eating like an athlete, but I was training twice a day, six days a week. So I did end up losing weight and I started to get a lot of attention from people, but mostly men, uh, just kind of like the attention that I never got when I was in high school as kind of like a wallflower. So that kind of pushed me down that path even further. Like, okay, this is what people, you know, people are complimenting me. People are praising me for losing weight. When I would go home for breaks, people would see me from high school and be like, wow, you look amazing. And so it was just kind of like, not reassuring, but like, you know, uh, like reaffirming what you were doing. Yes. Reaffirming that the changes to my body were worth pursuing. So, and again, never did anything crazy like, you know, bulimia or anorexia or anything like that. But it was things like I would be spending two hours in the gym every day or doing like low carb dieting or just different things that were in the attempt to manipulate the way I looked. For a long time, that was what I felt like I was passionate about. And Mm -hmm. I would tell other people about nutrition, I was still kind of in the same mindset I was brought up in where I was like cooking with coconut oil and getting raw milk and that kind of thing. And a lot of my friends were like totally grossed out by the food that I ate and were like, why do you put so much salt on things? And like, you're going to get heart disease from eating butter. And it's like, okay, whatever. You guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm just going to eat what I want to eat. But so it was like this weird combination of like having the background knowledge of what actually like real food is, is good for us. But then also being like, how do I use this to manipulate my appearance. So I ended up going to grad school for nutrition. And that was kind of an interesting experience because that was when I got both exposed to conventional dietetics practice and knowledge and things like biochemistry, epidemiology, all the science side of the equation. But then I was also getting into the paleo world at that time because this was like 2011 when paleo was really starting to get hot. So I had this weird experience where I was like telling everybody that carbs were physiologically unnecessary and like, you know, everybody should be eating a high fat, low carb diet, that kind of thing based on Mm. the dogma of the paleo movement that I was getting exposed to. But then at the same time at school, they were probably teaching you something totally different, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And honestly, I don't think either end of the extreme was actually accurate. So, you know, when they were saying don't eat any saturated fat, I was like, well, that's not true. And then on the other side, if I was like, you know, in that like low carb mindset, nobody needs to eat carbs. Carbs are totally like pointless and, you know, they're bad for your health. And so I was kind of like straddling these extremes while all along, like kind of missing the boat as far as like what the what I think the Mm -hmm. truth was. And then I ended up getting a job with a guy named Chris Kresser, who some of your listeners might be familiar with. He's pretty big in the ancestral health paleo community. Through working with him, I started to do a lot more independent research on specific topics. And I started to, first of all, learn more and kind of like dig into some of these topics more. But then also I started to experience some of my own problems health-wise. I started to gain weight, which I had attributed to stress, but I think a lot of it came down to the restricted binge cycle that I was starting to get into, where it was like I would eat strict paleo all week or maybe two weeks in a row. And then on the weekend, you know, we'd have a party at my house with my roommate and it would be like alcohol and brownies and like, you know, just basically going off the rails and just eating way, way too much. So that was something I was starting to get into. And I think partially because of stress, but also for me, I think really it came down to my body wanted carbs and it was like, okay, well, the only carbs available are brownies or ice cream. And it was just like, I was trying to avoid it so much. And then I was either binging on it when it was available or I allowed myself to eat it. Or it would be something like, my roommate would have a container of ice cream in the freezer and I would go sneak like little bites 
once in a while. And if she's listening, Katie, I'm sorry. I stole your ice cream when we were in, in grad school. But like literally I would be like, I, well, I can't have ice cream, but I just, I'm craving it so bad. I'm just going to eat a little bite of it. And so in my opinion, even though it wasn't an eating disorder, I look at that now as being disordered. So it was this really weird collection of like, I was getting more educated, but I was also experiencing weird health issues and unwanted weight gain. Still trying to figure out what I thought about nutrition and then also just trying to get through grad school, which is its own battle. So finally I graduated and immediately went into my own virtual private practice. I knew I never really wanted to work for another like a hospital or anything like that. Maybe if I had found an awesome, you know, functional medicine doctor or something to work under, I might have gone that route, but I just I'm the kind of person that I really like being creative and having lots of different things going on and running my own schedule, so being self-employed just made sense. And then that was 2014 when I started my business, so now it's been four and a half years since I've been working with private clients. And over time, not only for my own physical health, but I've seen this happen in my clients' physical health where all these rules that they're following with specific diets and saying one food's bad, one food's good, or you know, being super, super restrictive and then never having any sort of wiggle room or any sort of chill around their food, it always ends up causing more harm than good. Now, I know there are certain circumstances where people have to be restrictive. And that's something that I help my clients work through is figuring out like what actual restrictions are necessary. So if somebody has celiac disease, I'm not going to say, oh, just have a brownie once in a while. You'll be fine. Like we know that's not going to work. But on the other hand, if they're like, well, I have celiac when I'm doing strict paleo and I'm never even going to touch a gluten-free brownie, then it's like, okay, is that really helping you? Is that necessary? So it's just been this interesting journey over the last four to five years of teaching others and kind of learning for myself what works, what doesn't work, what's sustainable over the long term, and then what's also really necessary for good health and fitness. Because I think for a long time, I really thought restriction was the answer and like strictness and following rules and being like clean in quotes with your diet was the way that you stay healthy and happy and fit and all that. And I've just come to this realization over the last four to five years that it's first of all, not necessary. Second of all, I think it's actually a huge distraction from the stuff that's actually important in our lives in a lot of situations. If it goes far enough, it actually can cause health problems for people. So I work with a lot of women who were probably what you would consider pretty healthy. And then they joined a CrossFit gym and then their CrossFit gym did a paleo challenge. And so they did this like low carb paleo diet with CrossFit five or six days a week. And then they started developing health issues that they never had three to six months later, and they're like, well, I don't get it. I thought I was eating healthy. I thought I was doing the right thing. So my focus over the last couple of years has really started to narrow down to working with women who almost like did more harm than good with trying too hard to be healthy and really need help just figuring out what is actually necessary for them to feel their best and how much total food do they need to eat? Like what's the balance that works well for them to help them reach their health goals, but also to actually live an enjoyable life where they don't feel like they can't go out with their friends, they can't enjoy their food, they can't go out on a date with their husband, like all these things that you get blocked from because you're so restrictive on your diet or you just feel like crap because you're eating a thousand calories less than you need for the day. So that's kind of like the progression that I've been through just because I like people to know that I empathize and I know what it feels like to put your self-worth in how you look. I also know what it feels like to have really strong beliefs about nutrition that are not serving you. And I also know what it feels like to 
get out of that and to actually be living a life that I feel really good about, feel good in my body. Like I'm not a bikini model, like I have body fat, but it's like I like waking up in the morning and being like, I feel pretty good about things and I'm not killing myself at the gym and I'm not starving myself and I'm enjoying my food and I'm enjoying my life and I'm being social and I'm pursuing things that are meaningful to me. So that's like the big picture of what I like helping women with. But a lot of times it does take this like unlearning of diet and fitness strategies so that they can actually free up mental space and time to do the things that are important. Yeah. So I think the whole mindset of like, if things aren't working or if you're not making progress, you have to eat less and do more is so ingrained in us. And just like you said, going back to reading women's health in high school, which I did that too. And I was like, oh, all of these pretty celebrities that are, you know, celebrating these magazines eat 1200 calories. So like, I'm going to do that too. And I also played volleyball, also was a collegiate athlete, like 1200 calories is not enough food for a collegiate level athlete. (laughs) So that has been so ingrained in us from an early age, especially if you were exposed to things like magazines or gossip news, that sort of stuff. Dr. Oz, whatever. When women first come to you and you're like trying to turn this this mindset on its head, what are their first reactions? Like, do they believe you? How does that go usually? Yeah. So it definitely depends on the person because some people that end up working with me, they've already been exposed to enough of my work that they're like, I know that this is a problem and it needs to be solved. Other people that come to me they're never totally clueless. Like I don't think people work with me when and they haven't had exposure to, to most of my work or even some of my work. But I think they're a little bit in denial about how serious it is. When we go over their information and I come up with a general calorie goal and a balance of macronutrients to be aiming for, it depends on how low they're eating. Because I don't, if somebody's eating 1200 calories a day, I'm not going to jump them up, like double that amount of food right away, because that's just not going to work physically. But we might start at like, let's say, let's go to 1800 calories a day, which for someone who's super active is still potentially a deficit. And sometimes they really are like, that is, that's so much food. And it's funny, because anyone who's used to eating more than that, like, I know there's probably a lot of women that are listening that maybe have worked through this process that they're like, I eat like 2500 calories for a day. And that's like, you know, just maintenance mode. 1800, I don't think is that much volume of food. But for someone who's been eating 1200 calories a day for maybe a decade, 1800 is a 50% increase, it can be really scary. The other challenge is that a lot of times I'm taking their carb intake up pretty significantly. So if you're not used to eating carbs, volume-wise carbs take up a lot of space. So as an example, if you're on like a keto or low-carb diet, a lot of your calories are coming from fat. Going from calories from fat to calories from carbs is the equivalent of like switching out a tablespoon of olive oil for a cup of rice or like two cups of butternut squash. So even if the calories are exactly the same, the volume shoots up so much that it can be kind of like scary for these women. And you were mentioning just a minute ago, influences on the volume of food that women eat. I actually think, yes, the magazines are a problem and the Dr. Oz or whoever is like teaching incorrect information is a problem. But I actually think the bigger issue is more of the social influence. So like if you're at a table with your friends and you have a big plate of food and everybody else is eating half of what you're eating, if you don't know what you need to be healthy, you're going to look at their plate and be like, oh my gosh, I'm eating like double what that person has. I shouldn't be eating this much. Or like maybe you have a spouse or a boyfriend or something that you look at his plate and you're like, 
why is our plate the exact same size? Like he's a dude, he should be eating more than me. So that kind of like comparison mentality can really affect the way that a woman eats. And I think when they first start the process of eating enough, they look at their plate and they're like, holy cow, like this is so much food. This is crazy. Nobody else that I know eats this much. None of my friends eat this much. My husband doesn't even eat this much when we eat dinner. This can't be right. And so they start to question like this, you know, volume of food as being like this absolutely cannot be the right amount of food. So that can be a challenge that needs to be worked through. And I do think working with someone can be really helpful because if you don't have an objective person to check in with, it's like, it's really easy to kind of scare yourself and just be like, never mind, I don't want to do this. The cool thing is that I see in the bulk of the women that I work with who are able to bust through that fear is that a lot of their health issues are like within days, just gone. Like, oh, I felt tired all the time and now my energy is like totally normal or I couldn't sleep and I couldn't fall asleep and I couldn't stay asleep and all of a sudden I'm sleeping through the night. Or, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was freezing cold all the time and now my body temperature is normal. Or, oh my gosh, every time I came home from work, I thought I needed a snack or I thought I needed chocolate because I was craving sugar like a maniac. And now that I'm eating enough, I don't even, like, I can totally make it till dinner. So things like that, things like sports performance, like if you're an athlete, you might notice, I mean, I had one client who she was stuck at a hundred pound deadlift and like was there for like six months. And I was like, wait a second, (laughs) like if you're training with a group, you should not be stuck there. So the first thing we did was add food and she went within a couple weeks up to a 140 pound deadlift. That is a crazy increase for the fact that she had been stuck for six months. And within a month, she added 40% to her deadlift. And I'm like, That's an example of like, she didn't know what she was doing wrong. She was feeling really frustrated. She was putting in the work, like she was showing up at the gym, she was doing the work, but because she wasn't eating enough, her body was not responding. That's an example of like, maybe you don't feel like garbage, but if your workout's been stuck for months or you're not making progress at the gym, that's where you might want to look at what you're eating because if you're not eating enough, your body has no way to actually recover appropriately from workouts. So I think once somebody can actually do it and get the physical benefit that they are looking for from eating more, that's where the buy-in really happens. The only downside is sometimes there is a a not-so-fun adjustment period where if you've been chronically malnourished for years, your body's going to freak out a little bit when you're eating more. So things like water weight retention, bloating, um, maybe you get some hormonal shifts like a breakout or something. And for a lot of women, if they gain weight or their skin gets messed up or their digestion gets messed up, they're immediately thinking that something's wrong. The sad part is, is the weight thing really is the biggest thing. Like I've had clients before who everything is improving, but they're like, oh, but I gained three pounds this month. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> is everything else is improving. So your weight is like, yeah. Exactly. So, and I'm not, I'm not saying that like, I don't want my clients to just, you know, gain a hundred pounds without stopping. Like that's not the goal, but it's one of these things where the goal is health. And if gaining a little bit of weight is part of the process to get healthy, then I think it's worth it. And that's part of what I help coach women through is like the mindset barriers, because so many of us women prioritize appearance above health because in our society, women are told that your value comes from your the way you look or what your fitness level is, or if you have abs or a thigh gap or whatever. Part of like the deeper work that I do with my one-on-one clients is to really help them emotionally break free of that self-worth issue where they're putting their value as a woman in their like body fat percentage or the number on the scale. So doing that work is super important for 
doing this in general because if a woman can't get comfortable with their body changing a little bit, then it's really hard to make progress in this area. It definitely comes down to the person. Some of my clients, they jump right into it. They're super excited about feeling better. Their bodies actually don't respond that poorly. Like, you know, they actually immediately are doing better. Some of them even lose weight. So it's like, yay, I'm eating more and I'm losing weight and my workouts are awesome. So some of my clients have that experience. And I always love that experience. That's great because it's like, I don't, I don't have any like convincing to do, but there are a handful of people who it is a struggle. And, you know, I do support them emotionally. I help them work through some of that deeper fear stuff that comes up. Because again, with that fear, it's not usually about food. And I mean, I'd say nine times out of 10, it's not about food at all. It's really just about like self image and, you know, lies that they're telling themselves about what their value is or fear that they won't fit in with their friends or their, you know, their spouse or their partner won't be attracted to them anymore. All these things that come down to like, they're afraid to lose relationships essentially if they gain weight. So working down to that and really like digging into that can help them at least be neutral through the process and not quit the program or feel like they're doing the wrong thing. So it can definitely get really complicated, but I really enjoy it because I just think when I can help a woman get to a place where she is well-nourished and taking care of her body from a a self-worth and self-love perspective and actually looking at her body as worth taking care of, I think it just opens up so much amazing opportunity for life in general. And that includes like confidence in relationships, like doing things that they think are valuable to them, making strides in their career, like all the things that they now have them mental energy and confidence to do because they're not like just sucked into this diet mentality where that's all they think about. Yeah, I've totally, I don't want to say wasted, but there are definitely periods in my life where I was so hyper-focused on food or the way that I looked or when I was going to work out or whatever that I just like missed out on a lot of opportunities, a lot of memories, like There are, you know, family vacations, for example, that I went on and I was so mentally focused on figuring out how I was going to maintain my super healthy diet, how I was going to leave where my family was and find a gym to get my workouts in that I like missed out on the whole point of the family vacation. You know what I mean? And so when we let that stuff become, and I mean, still important, but it's not what your world revolves around, you are able to pursue so many other areas of life and have like an actually fulfilling, well-rounded existence. Yeah. It's one of these things where I think people are so black and white and they're thinking about this stuff. Like if somebody misses a week at the gym, they're like, oh my gosh, I've totally failed. I might as well just never work out again. (laughs) Or they get home and they're like, I'm going to do two days for the week to make up for it. And it's like, I like the fact that for me personally, first of all, I only train twice a week right now, which I've dabbled in the idea of like adding some more just for the fun of it. But my baseline is twice a week. And then when I go on vacation or like when I got married last year, I was out of the gym between like the week before my wedding, my honeymoon, and then we had a trip scheduled afterwards. I was not in the gym for six weeks and I was like totally fine. Nothing happened. I went back after six weeks and everything was the same. I mean, I might've like lost a little bit of performance, but nothing that I didn't get back within the next month. Like it was just so awesome to be able to enjoy that super special time of my life without it being like, I'm on my honeymoon, but hold on, babe, I need to like go find the gym and go work out. So I'll I'll be back in like two hours. You know, for me, it's just that freedom to stay consistent in a way that does serve me and does allow me to maintain my fitness. But like 
I can take off a couple weeks and be fine. Or I can maybe like play around with adding a little bit and it's totally cool. Like it's not this super black and white rigid routine. I do think that being able to take time off, like if you go on vacation, you should be able to go for a week without training and not have a panic attack, right? Like I'm not saying don't do active vacations. I love hiking. I love surfing. I love trying new things. Like I think active vacations can be super fun. If you're like, I can't not do my lifting routine while I'm in Mexico on my honeymoon, I think that's a problem. So I always want people to feel like taking a break from their training routine is not a big deal. It's not going to like, you know, totally ruin whatever progress that you've made. It's mentally healthy to be able to be flexible in that way so that things happen. Maybe you get an injury, maybe you're, you know, super busy, maybe you're in the midst of a move or something where you really can't get to the gym and you're not going to have this mindset of like, I need to make up for it or punish myself or we haven't finished this project yet, but I have to go to the gym because it's my routine. So fitness, I think, is just as bad as far as like the orthorexic type approach is concerned. So orthorexia, for those who aren't familiar with that term, is just the obsession with right eating. And I apply that to the training world as well, where it's like you're obsessed with the perfect fitness routine. I just find it to be something that it's getting worse. And I think social media is making it worse. I think culture is making it worse where people are like, the only bad workout is the workout you don't do or you know that kind of thing. It's getting to a place where it's really disordered. And I think people listening to this podcast, like just women in general, they need to be aware that this is something that they should look at as not being normal and not being healthy and not something to aspire to. Mm -hmm. I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder or anything like that. But the research and what I've learned about orthorexia is I definitely had orthorexic behaviors or tendencies in high school and early college, which I kind of alluded to before. And I can definitively say that one of the biggest triggers was A, I found the fitness world of social media and B, Pinterest became really big. And Pinterest is like this festering pool of bad advice (laughs) for like nutrition and workouts and stuff like that. And so I was just in this like echo chamber of terrible advice. And a ton of other people on social media were, you know, doing the same thing. So I didn't think anything was wrong with what I was doing. I had like extreme tunnel vision. You know, my parents were worried about me. My friends were starting to notice, but I was like, no, 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 this is right. Like I'm being healthy because I'm eating perfectly and working out perfectly. Like how can that be a bad thing? And so it's really dangerous when you're in like an echo chamber basically of just people that are hyper-focused on those things. And in a society that's hyper-focused on those things, you totally lose perspective of like what's important and what life is like without that veil over you basically. Yeah. And I mean, the social media piece for sure is a huge issue and it's gotten worse as it's gotten more popular. I also, I have clients who, let's say they're in a CrossFit gym and that's where their entire social life is, which I'm not against having social life at the gym. I I do think it's a little unhealthy to have your entire social life. Yeah, like you have no friends outside of CrossFit. Like that's not, I don't think that that's ideal. And not to like shame people about it. I just think if that's your situation, you need to put some effort in into broadening your horizons. But the problem is I've had clients before who they know that they need to go through this healing process. They know they have disordered eating behaviors. They're really mentally struggling with 
removing themselves from that mindset of like restricting and overexercising, that kind of thing. To add insult to injury, they're continuing to go to the gym environment where a lot of these habits and behaviors are normalized. So, you know, oh, my CrossFit gym's doing a paleo challenge and I'm trying to get away from disordered eating and they're, everybody's talking about keto and everybody's talking about, oh, I have this like grain-free, sugar-free, like whatever free recipe, do you want to try it? And it's like, okay, I'm actually trying to like not be thinking about this stuff right now. So something that I think is really important depending on what stage of, I'll call it recovery, like, you know, it's not necessarily an eating disorder recovery, but I would say it's recovering from that diet mentality. Depending on what stage you're in, you may have to remove yourself from that environment for a period of time. There's this concept that you can't heal in the environment that you were injured in, which that can apply to a lot of different areas of our lives. But if you're continuously exposed to this diet mentality or this like orthorexic mentality, essentially, you're never going to get to a place where you're comfortable in going against the grain and making your own decisions and doing what's right for you. So for a lot of my clients, it's really scary because again, if all of their friends are in CrossFit and I'm like, don't go to CrossFit for a month, they're like, well, what am I going to do? I'm not going to see people. Like I don't have a social life. I don't have hobbies. I don't have anything else other than CrossFit. And so it's a scary thing. I think it's important because I think it's a good opportunity to diversify and to get some other hobbies and to meet some new people. And I'm not saying your CrossFit friends are bad people. It's just if that environment is triggering you, you can't continue to be in it and also think you're going to mentally recover and physically recover. So I think it's really important to be, I like the word sober when you are going through this process, thinking about things in a sober-minded way. Same thing if you were an alcoholic trying to recover from alcohol addiction, you're not going to go hang out with your friends in a bar, right? Like that's just not an intelligent way to heal from alcoholism. So if you have a tendency towards disordered eating or exercise bulimia or, you know, any of that stuff that is not healthy, hanging around people that are encouraging that kind of behavior is not going to help you. So that can be a huge either barrier to progress for women or if they have the courage to remove themselves from the environment and work on their healing, maybe in a month or two, you feel really good about where you're at and then you go back to CrossFit and you can do it from a healthy place and not get you know distracted by your teammates talking about the keto diet that they're doing or the vegan diet or whatever that they're doing. So it's one of these things where it is really insidious as far as where these influences come from. But I just think women are especially prone to that comparison trap. And if you're in friendships or in social situations where it's encouraging that kind of disordered mindset, then it's just like, okay, take a break, get away from it for a period of time. Yeah. So when it comes to under eating just in general, which is so widespread in society, especially with women. And I know that we're constantly talking about like, oh, we're in an obesity epidemic, all of this stuff. But on the flip side, there's also a huge problem with women under eating. And I think we're so focused on the obesity epidemic and that rhetoric that we're not talking about the chronic under eating. What are some red flags or signs that someone might be under eating and they don't even realize it? Yeah. So I'd mentioned a few earlier as far as what kind of things you might look for. And it's interesting because even with the quote-unquote obesity epidemic, I do question how much of that is getting exacerbated by the diet culture that we have where people go on these crazy diets and they stick with it 
for like a month and then they come off it and then they end up binging for a month and their body ends up at a higher weight than they were even before. And then also like that mindset of, well, I can't do it perfectly, so I might as well not do anything at all. And then they end up eating junk food all the time. And it's like, okay, well, if you like use the junk food as like a treat and you were mostly eating really good food, you probably would have been fine. So it's kind of that like all or nothing dieting mentality that I think honestly is contributing to the general obesity issue in our country. In our world where we're looking at women who are you know, focused on health, focused on fitness, active, like interested in nutrition, overall under eating is much more of an issue. You have a history of dieting. And by history of dieting, I mean things like yo-yo dieting, where you're dieting really strictly for a month and you fall off it. Even if you're sticking to it very strictly, if you're dieting for more than eight to 12 weeks in a row, that's chronic dieting. There's a big difference between doing a short controlled cutting type of experience where maybe you spend eight weeks or 12 weeks in a calorie deficit versus like, I'm just always going to be in a calorie deficit ongoing with no end point. So chronic dieting, I think just that behavior in general, you're almost guaranteed to be at risk, if not most likely under eating, just because if you're just used to eating lower than what you need, that's going to be your habit. A lot of women will find themselves accidentally under eating. So it's like, and I've been there before myself, like right before my wedding, I was super stressed out trying to deal with all the logistics and family stuff. And I kind of lost my appetite. And it wasn't like I was trying to lose weight before my wedding. But the only reason why I know that I did lose weight is because I kept having to get my dress taken in before the wedding, which a lot of women are probably like, oh, you're so lucky. But honestly, it wasn't on purpose. It was like, I was trying to take care of myself. But things were hectic. I was stressed. Like My appetite was not where it needed to be. That's a situation where if you're noticing that your tendency is you don't eat when you're stressed, then that's something you need to be mindful of. Once in a while, it's going to happen. But if it's like, okay, I've been stressed for three months and I definitely have not been eating, then that's an issue. Another sign that you might be at risk for under eating is if you have switched to one of these real food diets that replaces normal food sources of calories with like, quote unquote, real food versions. I think this is a really important thing to be aware of because I feel like most people when they do like paleo is a great example where it's like, okay, instead of eating bread, I'm going to do lettuce wraps or instead of eating pasta, I'm going to eat zucchini noodles. And to most people listening, they're probably like, oh, that's totally healthy. You're getting more vegetables. You're avoiding processed foods. That's great. The problem is that if all you do is replace these higher calorie grains and processed foods and sugars, that kind of thing, with these vegetable or fruit-based replacements, you are dropping tons of calories out of your diet. So as an example, if you replaced a half a cup of pasta with a half a cup of zucchini noodles, you're going from 158 calories in the pasta to 15 calories in the zucchini noodles. So that's 143 calories that you just dropped out of your diet just from switching to zucchini noodles from pasta. If you went from two slices of bread on a sandwich to a bunch of lettuce leaves as like a lettuce wrap, you would be going from 133 calories to seven calories. And so that's 126 calories that you dropped just by switching to a lettuce wrap. So you can see as this starts to add up across the day, if this is like every meal you're replacing something that you were eating before you went, quote unquote, like healthy, real food, clean eating, whatever it is, paleo, anything you want to call it, you might not realize that you've just dropped like 200 calories out of every single meal for the day. 
And across the day, that could be like five or 600 calories that you just cut out. So you might have been eating enough before, like maybe you're eating around 2,000 calories a day naturally just by, you know, eating a kind of normal balanced diet. You're now eating 1,400 calories a day just because you switched over to these replacements. This is something that I think a lot of women tend to have an aha moment around because it's like, oh my gosh, I wasn't even purposefully dieting. I wasn't like restricting calories on purpose. But when they switch to that like clean eating mentality, all of a sudden they've cut like 30% of their calories out without replacing them with something else. And a lot of times it ends up being carbs too or fat. I mean, it just depends. Like if somebody is, you know, if they go like raw vegan or something, they're probably not going to be getting a ton of fat unless they're really focused on it. So these are areas where switching from just this like normal, like average American diet, maybe it's not like a ton of junk food, but it's got some processed foods in there. Switching over to that real food, clean eating approach does usually cut your calories down. For some people, that's a good thing. Like if you were eating a thousand calories too much per day, and then you drop to like a normal amount that your body actually needs, that's okay. But most of the women I'm guessing that are listening to this podcast are not the kind of person that was like way, way, way overeating and then went to like a more appropriate amount of calories when they went on a clean eating diet. A lot of times they were probably around what they needed and then they dropped out a ton out of daily intake. So that's kind of a red flag for me if somebody is doing like all the veggie replacements instead of eating things like like they're doing cauliflower rice instead of regular rice, or they don't touch any sweeteners at all. And all they do is like stevia, that kind of thing. It's like, all right, well, if you're pulling out all of these calories and replacing it with like really low calorie foods, where are your calories coming from? That I'd say is a really common issue. And so these are some of the things that put you at higher risk for under eating for sure. And then as far as symptoms go, as I'd mentioned, if your workouts are really stagnant and you're not making any progress, that's a really good sign that you're not eating enough. Low body temperature, anxiety or depression type symptoms, hair loss, feeling cold all the time. For women, if you lose your menstrual cycle, that is 100% a sign that your diet is at least not appropriate. But even things like digestive symptoms, like a lot of women will develop things like bloating or constipation if they all of a sudden are eating like, first of all, tons of vegetables, but then also not enough calories. They have a lack of sex hormone production, which that can lead to a low sex drive, wonky hormones. So maybe if you are still menstruating, you're getting like really bad PMS. You have blood sugar dysregulation. There's a lot of things that can come up symptom-wise if you're under eating. Also not sleeping well. I have a lot of clients that they really struggle to stay asleep after they've fallen asleep at night and they're waking up, they're going to the bathroom multiple times to pee, they start eating enough and all of a sudden they're sleeping through the night. So these are symptoms that unfortunately can kind of like sound like other things also. And also under eating can trigger certain conditions like hypothyroidism can definitely be triggered by under eating. I do think gut issues like poor gut motility, bloating, IBS type symptoms can be triggered by significant under eating or just imbalanced eating. Like if you're eating an insane amount of veggies, hormonal imbalances, uh, quote unquote, adrenal fatigue type symptoms, all these things that we like to pinpoint as like a medical problem can actually be triggered or worsened by under eating. So 
When I work with clients, no matter what their issue is, I always confirm that their food intake is adequate because at least 50% of the time, if not more, now that I've started to kind of like focus on this a little bit, most of the time they're not eating in a way that actually supports their body's optimal functioning and they're experiencing these symptoms and they go to their doctor and their doctor's like, oh, you have sluggish thyroid function. Let's put you on a thyroid medication. And then they get worse because like that actually makes things worse if you're under eating and you take thyroid medication. So it's just this like vicious cycle. So there's a lot of other symptoms, but those are the ones that I typically see. And it's kind of scary how many women experience at least some of those issues. So you know, if there's anyone listening and that's something that you're experiencing, I would strongly encourage you to just start at the basics and look at your calorie intake and check in on that. Yeah, I see that so much too. I take clients for fitness programming and I will give macronutrient recommendations and things like that based on you know their activity level, their age, their dieting history, their height, weight, everything. So often I send their plans back to them and they're like, this is so much food. Like, I think you made a typo or something. I don't think this is right. <laughs> I'm like, no, I promise. You added a zero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is not right. Like, there's no way. And I'm like, trust me, you are active. You are like not four feet tall. <laughs> like, you need this much food in order to just function. That's not even considering that you're working out. Like when we say 1200 calories, active women are eating 1200 calories when in reality, that's usually technically considered what people need to just stay alive on bed rest, right? Right. So there's a thing called resting metabolic rate or basal metabolic rate. And that is what you just said, like the amount of calories your body would need to be on bed rest. And bed rest is like you're literally not moving out of bed the entire day. So then when we add your exercise and your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is your need. So if you're, you know, walking around, chasing after your kids, walking your dog, whatever it might be, like all of those calories add up to your calorie expenditure and you need to eat accordingly. Yeah. And I think especially if women are trying to lean out or lose weight, they're like, okay, but that's, you know, that's not with my deficit that I need to be doing. Again, it's not that there isn't a role for a planned deficit. It's just that you can't, always be in a deficit. Your body eventually is going to adapt. Your thyroid hormone is going to come down. Your cortisol levels are going to go up. Your sex hormone production is going to reduce. Like All these adaptations to low calorie intake, they don't happen immediately. So it's not like you know, a week into a diet, you're going to be experiencing like hypothalamic amenorrhea and hypothyroidism, that kind of thing. But if it goes on long enough, that's when these things start to happen. So if somebody does have a body composition goal it's okay to do occasional calorie deficits. It's just that you really should not be doing more than like eight to 12 weeks at a time and definitely not more than like two or three cuts a year if you're going to stay healthy. So that's an area where you need to be on a maintenance diet for, I say, at least six months before you even try a cut. And then at that point, if you want to try a cut, go for it. But don't do this thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to do my cut and I didn't hit my goal. So I'm just going to stay in this cut for like a year. Can you explain to those listening who maybe they feel like they're not at the body composition that they want to be at? They feel like they have extra fat to lose and they're like, well, there's no way I could be under eating if I still have like this amount of body fat. Can you explain why that is possible and actually highly likely? Yeah. So <laughs> it's pretty controversial in the nutrition and fitness world because you get some people saying that calories don't count at all and it's completely irrelevant and it's like about, all about insulin and all this stuff. And then on the other side of the equation, you get the people who are like, literally, it's only related to calories. You could eat, you know... It's calories in, calories out. That's it. End of story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You could eat Twinkies and as long as you're eating less than you're expending, then you're going to lose weight. 
I think both of those are incorrect. Like I think they're too simple and I don't think they take into account the fact that the body is intelligently designed and it is not going to just let you waste away if you're eating a thousand calories less per day than what your body actually needs to survive. You know, we don't have a lot of people dying of starvation in our country. And if they are, it's they've developed a severe enough eating disorder that unfortunately anorexia and eating disorders in general, they have one of the highest death rates of any mental illness. So that's something to be aware of. But the average person who's just chronically dieting is not going to starve to death. Like there's enough, Mm -hmm. your body wants to survive enough that you're not going to really get to that place where you would actually die. But your body also wants to do whatever it can to prevent loss of life or loss of function. So what happens over time is if you've been in a chronic calorie deficit for a really long period of time, your body makes adaptations to its functioning to actually reduce your total calorie output. So it reduces thyroid hormone production and thyroid hormone is what drives your metabolic rate. So instead of burning 1,400 calories on bed rest, maybe you'd only be burning 1,000 calories on bed rest. Another thing that happens is, like you were saying, that NEAT, it's the non-exercise activity thermogenesis where you're like fidgeting or you're just moving around. Your body will actually stop doing that. It'll get conservative with its movement and maybe you can force yourself to exercise in that situation, but it's going to do what it can to get you Mm -hmm. to stop exercising essentially. So basically just like minimizing how much energy you're burning. What I look at it as, yes, calories in, calories out at its bare level of physics is true, but our bodies are not stagnant as far as the calories out are concerned. If you're always dieting or you're always not eating enough, those calories out are going to drop and eventually you'll be in a calorie maintenance level. And then anytime you do go off your diet or eat a little bit more or go out and eat some restaurant food or something and you're, you know, instead of eating 1200 calories, you ate 1800 calories or 2000 calories your body is going to immediately store those as fat because it's wanting to defend you against a lack of energy. So in your body's perspective, and again, I talk about your body like it's a separate entity. It's not. It is still you, but it has its own inherent survival mechanisms. So one of those survival mechanisms is in that feast or famine type of experience, when a surplus of calories is available, instead of that immediately bumping up your metabolic rate, your body's going to say, hey, extra calories, let's store those because we don't know when we're going to eat again. And this is something we can save for later use. Again, most people are not always, always, always in that calorie deficit. Like, I mean, some people might be, but a lot of times there is that fluctuation where they kind of like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And then they binge and then that's where that surplus comes in. But even if somebody is in a chronic deficit, they are tanking their calories out to the point where they're no longer in a deficit when it comes to their input and output. So that's my understanding of the way that our bodies respond to deficits just based on like starvation studies and the way that women with actual eating disorders like anorexia, when they're inpatient hospital recovery experiences, when they're refeeding to get their body weight back up to normal, this is something that a lot of people don't know. At first, they need to eat like what their quote unquote maintenance calories are to start gaining weight eventually they'll plateau in their weight because their metabolic rate is shooting up and then they'll actually start to lose weight at that level, which when you have an eating disorder, you don't want to keep losing weight. That's not the goal. The goal is gaining weight. So what they have to do is keep cranking up their calorie intake to allow their body to actually continue to put mass on. 
putting masks on and repairing organ damage from eating disorders takes a lot of energy. So an inpatient hospital-based eating disorder recovery clinic, a lot of the women there are eating like five, six, seven thousand calories a day just to gain like a pound a week or two pounds a week. Again, this is not necessarily relevant to somebody who's just eating 1,200 calories a day, but it is something to be aware that like calories in, calories out equation is not stagnant. It's not like if these women get to 2,400 calories a day and just stay there, they're going to be fine. They have to go two or three times that level just to maintain and continue to like weight restore is what it's called. If we look at that research and kind of take that to a less extreme, we look at women who are recovering from under eating they may need to go a little higher for a period of time than they would have expected just to get their metabolic rate back to normal. So it gets kind of complicated, but I just think it's really important for women who are struggling with inability to lose weight. You want to nurture your metabolic function and your metabolism. You want to provide your body the energy it needs, the micronutrients it needs, the protein, carbs, and fat that it needs, the hormone signaling that it needs. Insulin is actually a hormone that has a lot of amazing benefits in the body. It's not just a fat storage hormone. So if you're chronically low in insulin, you're going to have health issues. These are things that people have been misled about for so long. And they just think the only option is cut, 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 cut calories, eat less, eat less. When if they were able to spend some time repairing their metabolism and not focusing on weight loss, their body will come to a nice, happy, stable state. And if weight loss is still a goal, then they can experiment with the occasional cut once their body is metabolically restored. So by now, I'm sure at least a handful of people listening have identified the fact that they are in fact under eating or they have chronically under eaten for a long period of time. But I think one thing that holds people back, especially women, from developing a healthy metabolism and repairing the quote unquote damage that they've done from chronic under eating is they are so afraid of adding food in. They're so afraid of gaining weight. Like we mentioned earlier, there's almost like a priority of appearance over health, which, you know, is not not great. So what are some things that our listeners can do to foster a better relationship with food and their body and get to a point where they do want to put their health first? That's a great question. That could probably be its own podcast or even its own like oh, for sure. series of podcasts. There's a couple of different things that I like to do with my clients, kind of depending on what their background is and what their beliefs are. If any of the listeners or follower of mine, they'll know that I'm a Christian. And so a lot of the work that I do does come from perspective of God has to say about our worth as women. So that was something for me that was a pivotal moment in my journey of self-love and health and this whole like, you know, living a life that I'm actually happy with was switching from this mindset of I need to earn my self-worth by looking a certain way, by acting a certain way, by being who people want me to be, by doing things for people, even if it goes against my desires or my values or whatever, going from that like earning my self-worth to resting in the knowledge that my self-worth is, it's already established. Just personally, that comes from my belief in God because I really struggle to see how we have self-worth outside of God. If you don't agree with that, totally cool. But that's something that has really been pretty much like the turning point in my life in a lot of ways was becoming a Christian in 2012. And so if I have a client who is either Christian or believes in God or has some kind of spiritual belief that they have a higher power type of belief, I really think believing that your self-worth is completely just 
set in stone. Like there is nothing you can do to earn your self-worth or lose your self-worth that that can be an amazing foundation for making decisions about your health and your life habits and even your like relationship choices and your career choices, all these things that a lot of times get influenced by, I want to be seen as successful. I want people to love me. I want to earn my self-worth. I want to be, you know, seen as beautiful. Like all those things that really come down to trying to earn that self-worth. If you already have the self-worth, then things like makeup and I like doing my hair and that kind of thing, but it's because it's fun and I like to like make myself look pretty. And it's like, it's not coming from this like, oh my gosh, if I'm not pretty, nobody's going to like me or my husband's not going to you know, be attracted to me or whatever kind of things that come up. It's like, oh, we have a date night. I have all this cute makeup that I want to like play around with. And it's like a fun thing. Nutrition choices. Like if somebody looks at my diet, like I do post a lot of the food that I eat on Instagram. If somebody looked at my diet, they would say, oh, that's a pretty healthy diet. Like she's eating vegetables. She's eating good quality proteins. She's eating basic starches. Like my diet is not just like Krispy Kreme donuts and like fettuccine Alfredo and eat whatever I want. Like I do actually want to feel good. I want to support my workouts. I want to have good energy. I want my digestion to feel good. So my diet most of the time is actually what you would consider pretty healthy. But I also like to go out to eat. I like to get ice cream. I like to, you know, if I'm at a wedding, I'm going to try the cake because it's wedding cake and those things are always better than normal cake. It's just one of these things where it's like, in any given moment, I'm making decisions that are what I think is best in that moment. And I don't regret the decisions unless it was like, by regret, I say like, oh my gosh, I just ate way too much. And now I felt kind of sick. I probably (laughs) shouldn't have done that. Next time I will be a little bit more mindful, but I don't regret it in the sense that I'm like, oh my gosh, I just ate too much. I'm going to go run five miles tomorrow because I just like did something bad. It's not guilt. It's just like, a awareness that maybe that wasn't the best yeah. option. <laughs> like, yeah. mm, should I have eaten that? Like, some foods do bother me. And like, pizza is a great example of a food that's kind of hit or miss. Anything that's like wheat and cheese combo for me is kind of like, all right, is my stomach going to tolerate this? Time will tell. Once in a while, I'll make a decision. Okay, here's pizza. If it's like Domino's pizza, that's like gross in my opinion and not that appealing. I'm not going to eat it because I'm like, it's not even worth potential digestive distress I'm going to have. Versus like if we go to this nice restaurant, there's like a couple local pizza places where I live. They grind their own flour for the dough and it's all like local ingredients and it's really good. And I'm like, okay, I'm probably not going to eat there every week because I don't know how that'll make me feel. But if my husband wants to go get pizza once in a while, I'll go and I'll eat it and, you know, I'll eat two pieces and I'll enjoy myself. And most of the time it's totally fine. So it's like one of these things where I still make decisions based on what I think is appropriate for my body and the right thing to do in that moment. Sometimes the right thing to do is not what looks like, you know, Instagram worthy or what somebody would think a dietitian is going to be eating. And there are sometimes consequences. Sometimes I'll eat sugar and I'll have a little bit of this like weird sugar rush experience. And I'm like, ooh, I think I just had too much sugar. Like that doesn't feel good. Next time I might be a little bit more mindful. But it's a learning process and you learn what your body tolerates. You learn what makes you feel good. And it's not this like, oh my gosh, I need to earn my value or I need to look a certain way. Or, you know, if I'm not thin enough, I'm not good enough or I'm not in the competition with other women. I'm losing. Like all of those thoughts that come from not being enough, not being being valuable, not being worth having relationships, things that I would consider lies that we believe that really just stomp out our ability to live a full, enjoyable, and productive, purposeful life. So I think whatever your belief system is, looking for what allows you to have 
a sense of self-worth that does not change. Whatever that is, I think everyone's going to have their own perspective. But I think in general, we can agree that if your self-worth is stable, you're going to make better choices for yourself. You're going to respect yourself. You're going to set boundaries. You're going to make decisions that align with your personal values. All of it's going to work better if your self-worth is stable. So I think anyone can work on that for sure. I find it easier when you do have a relationship with God because it's like, hey, even if I feel kind of crappy about myself once in a while, I still know what God says about me. So that's, for me, a really effective thing. Just in general, prioritizing your life, it is helpful to think about when you're 80 years old and you're looking back on your life, what do you want to be proud of? What do you want to feel good about? What do you want to look back and say, I'm so glad that I had that in my life? I feel like for most people, they're not going to get to 80 years old and be like, I'm so glad I dieted for my entire life. Like that was just so worth it. And like you were saying, you had that moment, luckily you're young and you've figured it out. But like a lot of women, it takes them getting into their 50s and 60s and being like, holy crap, like I don't want to live like this anymore. So faster we can have that realization, the better. But it's like looking back on your life and saying like, I don't want to miss out on family vacations because I spent half the time in the gym or counting macros. Or I don't want to avoid having sex with my husband because, you know, if I don't have sub 20% body fat, I'm not sexy. And it doesn't matter what he says. I'm going to like, you know, say, don't touch me. I don't want to have sex right now. I'm not going to wear a bikini at the beach or even wear a bathing suit at the beach. Like you could wear a freaking full body swim, like wetsuit if you want, but I'm not going to go to the beach and like let anyone see my body because, you know, I'm so embarrassed by it versus you know what? I went on this amazing beach vacation and I didn't give a crap what I looked like and I had a great time and I'm so glad that was such a great memory. What do I want to be remembering when I'm 90 or 80 or whatever age you think of and thinking about like what do you need to do now to actually have that experience in your current life? We're not all guaranteed longevity, right? Like you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and you're not going to live till you're 90 years old. But I think it's good to have that long-term view because then you can make decisions on a day-to-day basis that really do make the most of what's important to you, what's valuable to you, and what you can look back on even in 10 years. Like, you know, like you said, it's only maybe been a couple years since that event with your family vacation. But now I'm sure when you go on vacation, you look back on it and you're like, oh my gosh, I had so much fun. That was amazing. I'm so glad I did that. So having that experience in life where you feel really happy with the choices that you're making you don't regret missing out on things. You don't regret spending too much time focused on things. You don't regret missing out on relationships because you like, oh, I can't go out with my friends because I'm on this strict diet or, oh, I can't go on dates because my date is not going to understand or, oh, I'm not skinny enough to have a boyfriend right now. Again, the lies that we believe that prevent us from actually living a full life. I think if you can start to think about what kind of legacy you want to have, what kind of memories you want to have when you're older, what kind of experiences you want to have over the course of your life. I think that's a great way to really get your priorities in order because again, no one's saying don't work out, but if you're single and you're not going on dates because you refuse to miss the gym, that's probably not great. Or if you go to your sister's wedding and you're the maid of honor and you don't touch any of the food and you brought your little Tupperware container to your sister's wedding, it's like, what are you missing out on? You're like totally just not engaged in that event. So I just think it's really important to look at it that way because I don't believe women are put on this earth to get skinny and then die. Like I do think all of us have purpose. I think all of us, if anything, the purpose is to live a full, enjoyable life. We are designed for a relationship. We're designed to be helpful to others. We're designed to make an impact. So put the food and the exercise pieces in place that 
support your ability to feel good. And then after that, like just, I don't know, like, and I know it sounds silly coming from a nutritionist, but like, I just don't think nutrition is that big of a deal. Like it's not that important that you have to give up your entire life to be focused on it. So, well, yeah, the need to like control food and have the perfect diet, like that's never actually about the food ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I just think like, I mean, it can be tough and sometimes you need somebody who cares about you to kind of like shake you and be like, stop doing this. Um, Mm -hmm. This isn't good for you. This is not like, this is not helping you live a good quality life. But I'm hoping that this podcast episode might be a little like virtual shake where you're like, you know, oh my gosh, I wasn't even thinking about this and now I am. So those are the two biggest strategies I think work for most people to at least look at it a different way. I do think it can be helpful to work with somebody, whether that is an eating disorder dietitian or a local nutritionist or a virtual nutritionist or even like some fitness coaches. If they're good quality coaches, they're going to point you in the direction of eating for performance and not just like go on this diet because the only way you can tell if you're making progress is if the scale is going down. So I think getting help or finding an accountability partner can be really helpful in this whole process, but you have to decide that it's important for you to change. Nobody else can make you want to change. You have to really be ready to change and also desire a different way of living than what you're doing right now. And I think most people can get there. It's just sometimes it takes them hitting a little bit of like a rock bottom type of experience before they're really ready to make the changes that they need to make. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would say that I was probably like a rock bottom person, but it gave me a lot of perspective and it also like has allowed me to be so intensely grateful for like the balance and the freedom and the fulfillment and the well-roundedness that I have now. Like I have the perspective of how great this is because I've seen the other side. But for people that are listening and they're like, okay, I know that I need to improve this. I know I need to do better for myself, but I'm not really in the position to necessarily like have a dietitian or something like that. What resources do you have that they can check out and potentially get you know, in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. And the caveat is that none of this is going to replace appropriate medical advice or anything like that. So if somebody, if somebody truly does have an eating disorder or even thinks that they might, please don't just download free resources and that kind of thing, because it's not, that's not enough. So I just want to put that out there because I think sometimes a lot of women that struggle with this stuff are also struggling with the concept of investing in themselves. So they don't want to spend money on getting the help that they need. And I'm not saying you need to work with me. I'm just saying that like you're not going to get a transformative experience from a free ebook or even a $30 ebook. Like you can get started and you can get some quick wins. And I'm going to share a resource that can actually help you implement some of the stuff that we're talking about today, which is awesome. I think it's really great to have that experience of actually eating enough and feeling what your body feels like when you're eating enough. But the mindset stuff and, you know, the support structure and all that, you really can't get that from an ebook. So just keep that in mind because I do want people to get the help that they need and not, you know, devalue themselves to the place where they try to do it all on their own or they try to avoid spending any money or investing in their own success. So that all said, I do have a couple of free and a couple of low cost resources that I can share. I have free resources on my website. One is an ebook called Is Under Eating Ruining Your Health? It's a super short little 
PDF that gives you the top 10 signs that you might not be eating enough and why under eating actually makes it harder to lose weight and also why you might be craving sugar all the time. So a lot of the stuff we talked about today, but that's a free PDF download on my website. And Maria, are you going to put links in the notes? I can give you these links if people want to check this out. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put all the links in the show notes on grindandbegratefulpodcast.com. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, we have the 10 signs you're not eating enough download. And then I also have a free download that is called the five steps to a fear-free diet. And I call it a fear-free diet in the sense that you're confident about what you're eating. You know that if you are restricting any foods like gluten or dairy or whatever kind of foods you're avoiding, that you're very confident that it was the right thing for you to be doing. So just getting that like fear-based mentality around your diet out of the picture. And as part of that free ebook, there is a discover your values process where that stuff we were talking about before about what your true values are and how to live from those values. I go through a process of teaching how to actually figure out what your values are. Because I think sometimes if you've been stuck in that dieting mentality for so long, it's like when somebody says, well, what's important to you? And you're like, I don't even know. I don't know what's important to me. So trying to figure that out is a really good first step. And so that ebook is another one that's a free download and can help with that process, at least getting started with that process. So that's the five steps to a fear-free diet. And then I do have a special gift for the listeners of this podcast. So I have a paid guide, two different guides. One is called the 14-Day Calorie Challenge, and the other is an ebook called Overcoming Under Eating. And I actually have a little bundle of those on my website where you get the ebook and the 14-Day Calorie Challenge, which is a selection of five different two-week meal plans. They're all gluten-free just because most of the women I work with tend to have issues with gluten. And I'm just like, listen, if you want to eat gluten, that's great, but let's at least make it like a gluten-free plan so everybody that is needing to avoid gluten can still eat a good variety of foods. But the five different meal plans are just general real food. So it's gluten-free, but it's all whole food quality ingredient-based, real food for athletes. So it's a higher calorie amount, which again, athletes... I think if you're just training more than a couple times a week, I would consider you an athlete. There's a strict paleo one, which avoids things like dairy, grains, legumes, that kind of thing. There's an autoimmune protocol version. So if you have an autoimmune disease, but you're still wanting to eat enough, which is a common issue I see in the autoimmune community, that one is really great for anyone who's dealing with an autoimmune disease. And then we also have one that's for digestive health. So that one is a low FODMAP plan, if anyone's familiar with FODMAPs. And that's really helpful for people struggling with things like bloating, constipation, diarrhea, any of those IBS symptoms. So it's two weeks worth of meal plans, shopping guides, recipes and all that to help you eat enough. And it also gives you a way to figure out what your calorie needs are. So the ebook itself, the overcoming under eating is a little bit more of the mindset stuff. So if you're getting the meal plans, that'll help you actually eat enough. And then the ebook will help with the mindset shift. So I think this is a great starting point for anyone who's like, okay, this is clearly my issue. I really need to focus on this. And like I said, I want to give a gift to your listeners. So I'm going to give a $10 off coupon. So it's a $32 bundle, but you guys can get it for $22. And all you need to do is um, go to the website and use the discount code GRATEFUL. So G-R-A-T-E-F-U-L. Use that promo code. You'll get $10 off. And that way you can get started with this process at an even lower investment. So hopefully those resources are super helpful. Said I do have some free stuff and I have a blog. I used to run a podcast. So lots of stuff on my site that you can dig into. But like I said, I really want you guys to value yourselves enough to commit to a financial investment in any 
anything, like even just buying an ebook, I feel like when you put your money where your mouth is, it's a sign of commitment that you're taking it seriously. And even if it's just spending 20 bucks, like you're telling God or you're telling the universe, you're just telling yourself that I'm, this is something I'm taking seriously and I'm going to commit to this. So I just, I really, I'm very passionate about it if you couldn't tell. So, um, so I just want people to get the help that they need and whatever that is, I am hoping that these resources will at least get you on the right foot. Yeah. Thank you so much, Laura, for extending that offer to our listeners. It sounds like such a great resource and I'm probably just going to download it for myself, purchase it for myself because I think it's so, so important to have that knowledge, not only for your own journey, but also if you're talking to other people about you know nutrition and fitness and self-worth like I do every day, it's always great to just collect more, more knowledge, more perspectives on that stuff. So thank you so much for sharing those. But also, where can people find you on social media? What is your website? How can they get more from you? Yeah, sure. So my website is laurashoenfeldrd.com, spelled L-A-U-R-A-S-C-H-O-E-N-F-E-L-D-R-D. R-D stands for Registered Dietitian. Would have left that off, but the URL to buy my name was like three grand the last time I looked at it. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to leave that RD on there. So I'm most active on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is the same as my website. It's Laura Schoenfeld RD. And I also have a free group. If anyone is interested in getting into a community of like-minded women, it's a free Facebook group called the Fed and Fearless Society. I can give Marie that link as well, but that is open to all women who want to just get into a community of women who are going to support them in their journey to eating enough and nourishing their bodies. So I've been just curating that community to offer a way to get support, to get feedback, to get some good information. And it's been really awesome so far just to see how the women are being there for each other, sharing helpful resources, helping them troubleshoot. And I'm definitely in there as well, just giving my feedback. So I'd love to have any of you in there. And so that link I'll give to Marie and she'll be able to share with you too. Yeah. Awesome. All of these links will be in the show notes on grindingbegratefulpodcast.com. Like I said, but go show Laura some love. Tell her thank you so much for her time and insights on this episode. And Laura, I'm just so grateful for all that you do and your work is so, so important. Well, I'm just so stoked that you invited me on the show. And this is a topic that I love chatting about and just really grateful for the opportunity to spread the message. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. And I will talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for spending your time with me on the Grind and Be Grateful podcast today. I'm super happy that we are able to hang out and share some good vibes today. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could take one second to share this episode with someone who you think would love it, whether it's texting it to your friend, linking it on Twitter, or posting a screenshot on your Instagram story. It is all super appreciated. And please leave a show review on iTunes if you're enjoying it. Tell me what you think. Let me know what you want to hear more of. This show is for you. So your feedback matters. Plus, it would really help me out on my mission to educate and empower women everywhere to become their very best selves. Thank you again for listening and supporting the show. And until next time, don't forget to grind to be grateful, my friends. Thank you.